0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We turn a corner to a topic that I think all of us as Christians ought to, operative word, ought to be experts in, and yet many of us struggle with this. That is the subject of forgiveness. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, as we are taught by Christ on how to pray, that we would beseech the Lord to forgive us as uh, as we have been forgiven, and that we would then also in turn have the ability to forgive others who have wounded us, who have hurt us. Forgiving as we have been forgiven. Wow. Think about that. We were forgiven in such an incredible fashion in that the price that we were meant to pay was forfeited because somebody else paid that price on our behalf in the shedding of blood and sacrificing of a life that we might be reconciled in fellowship with, "...back unto the Father, the very Creator of the universe." Well, think about that. The Creator of the universe cared so much about little old you and little old me that he would sacrifice his only begotten Son for the remission of sin, that in that substitutionary work on the cross we might find forgiveness. Sadly, as much as we are eager to be forgiven, we are not always good at the matter of forgiving others. My guest today knows what that is like firsthand. He, in fact, tells a story of having to exercise what some might be considered to be uh, the ultimate in forgiveness. We all know the stories. We watch the headline news unfolding. The stories come out of Africa, specifically Rwanda, the genocide taking place there, uh, the tribal infighting taking place, uh, where it was not unusual for groups to show up to a small village and literally, if they didn't burn the place down, uh, certainly come in with guns and rifles and kill everybody. That was certainly the story of what happened in the life of my guest tonight. He is Celestin Mesukra of Rwanda, and um, has also served as an adjunct professor of systematic theology at Dallas Theological Seminary. A new book out entitled simply, Forgiving as We've Been Forgiven. And Dr. Mesukra, great to have you on the program.
1: Thank you, Greg. It's my honor to be with you.
0: Share with our audience, if you would, Doctor, uh, your experience. Many of us remember the stories of the genocide taking place, the Civil War in Rwanda that raged for the better part of a decade. Uh, I don't know that many of us knew anyone that was touched directly uh, by this, and perhaps as profoundly certainly as you were. Take us back to those defense, those events of December of 1997.
1: Well, thank you, Greg. Uh, the events For 1997, uh, were uh, acts of uh, revenge that uh, were a result of the uh, genocide which took place uh, between April 6 and end of July 1994. In 1994, most of the people probably heard about it after the movie Hotel Rwanda came out. But the majority of the people did not know that within a hundred days, about one million people were killed. And uh, these Hutus and Tutsis and the majority of the Hutus are killing Tutsis, killing neighbors, killing their um, fellow um, community members, and sometimes in many cases actually Christians, uh, killing other Christians, because they thought they were Hutus or Tutsis first, and uh, then Christian second. And so because of many years of hatred between the Hutus and Tutsis, and uh, that goes far before the independence, and uh, due to colonial division and uh, uh, favoritism of one tribe and the... Uh, imparting one tribe against the other. In the case of Rwanda, the minority uh, Tutsis being given power by the Belgians uh, who colonized, and for many Tutsis, um, overpowered and uh, oppressed Hutus. And then in 1959, the Hutus uh, rebelled, and there was a revolution. And so the Belgians and the Tutsis were... um, thrown out, and the Hutus took power in 1960. And then they began to rule, uh, just like it is in most cases, when the oppressed become the ruler, uh, the chances are that they become oppressors themselves, and so revenge um, happened, and the Tutsis were excluded in the uh, decision-making, in the economy, in the leadership, especially in the political leadership. And then 1990, uh, the children of the Tutsi were thrown out, who had lived in Uganda for years. They took the arms, and they began the war in October 1990. And the war which took four years. And by 1994, there were about one point five million displaced people in Rwanda. And uh, so in the process, there were some kind of negotiation between the Tutsi rebels, who were rebels then, and the Hutu government, and uh, they agreed to cease fire and in the process of waiting for the um, one, the constituting of one government. And in April, April 6, 1994, a plan that had the president of Rwanda, uh, Hutu, and the president of Burundi, uh, Hutu, uh, and with their entourage, um, the plane was shot down. And so because of the war, because of four years of, of war, and during the four years, of course, we have uh, politicians, uh, who are demonizing each other, who are calling upon their tribe to get ready to help the other tribe. And when the plane was shot down, then what became the genocide began.
0: A lot of this, of course, was also um, very well orchestrated by the government, wasn't it uh, that, that sense that the national government, working with also local officials, um, really created a, a coordinated effort, I guess we could call, at the extermination of what ultimately was about I understand 20 percent of the population
1: that's correct the, because during that four years of war uh, there was uh, this calling of tribalistic. Um, motivation, the Hutus uh, uh, calling on the Hutus and arming the militia and uh, uh, talking about the Tutsis who are murdering the Hutus in the north and, and the Tutsis calling about Tutsis to take the arms and uh, take the leadership back. But the uh, government that was mainly Hutus um, armed the militia and uh, using the, the war, of course, Uh, to demonize the Tutsis, to call them crocodiles, because uh, um, the Tutsis were involved in killing innocent uh, civilians when they began their rebellion against the Hutu government, uh, which uh, I would say they they were genuine in beginning the war because the Hutu government had uh, somehow refused them to come back peacefully. But the mistake the Tutsi made was uh, to kill the innocent Hutu and the civilians And uh, the political Hutus, politician Hutus, used that to arm the Hutus to rebel and to hate, uh, which again, uh, by 1994, there was a tension, there was hatred, uh, there were militia already being prepared, there were were killings already taking place. And so, yeah, it was uh, a manipulation of the tribalism by the politicians who wanted not to give up their leadership using the, um, the wall and the attack by the Tutsi rebels to say, hey, let's head them. They are coming back. Take a leadership. Yes, to the government. And so that really began the process of genocide, which, uh, again, for 100 days, one million people were killed, um, neighbors killing neighbors. And uh, by 1994, July, the Tutsi rebels, were able to push the government of Hutus out, and they took over the power. Unfortunately, when they took over the power, um, there were already one million uh, Tutsi and the Hutu uh, moderate uh, who were killed, and many of the Tutsis then began the process of uh, revenge. And so because there were about three million Hutus who left the country, uh, living in the refugee camps in the Congo, in Tanzania, in Uganda, some in Kenya. Uh, there were other civilians, poor peasants, who had nothing to do with politics, who them their communities, in their villages. And these was the case um, in many parts of the of the country, especially beyond uh, major cities. And so in 1996, 97, 98, some people who were living in refugee camps, began to come back to Rwanda because they were also dying in the refugee camps because of cholera, famine, and dysentery. And this was actually the case of my community uh, who had been living in the refugee camps in the Congo, returned back to Rwanda. I come back. I come from northwest of Rwanda, not far from the border with Congo. And so because of the, uh, again, the killings and the revenge that followed, so some men um, in uniform went in my village in uh, 1997 in December. And unfortunately, uh, innocent men and women um, were killed in my village, uh, a place where I was a pastor for uh, four years, four and a half years. And so about 70 people in my church were murdered, including five members of my family who were killed.
0: Let me pause on that. Let me pause right here if I can, doctor. We're going to pick up the story right after a brief update on traffic for our listeners. Um, It's riveting to not only gain some of the history here and understand the process of what transpired, many of the failures at intervention by organizations like the United Nations, and ultimately two major waves of significant loss of life. We're talking about upwards of 20% of the population wiped out. That means anywhere in the neighborhood, about 800,000 uh, to a million individuals who died in the process of all of this. We, we think of the, the killing fields of Cambodia in the 1970s, and there were vows that we would never allow this to happen again. Uh, unfortunately, it has happened it's happened to a significant degree, and as Dr. Uh, Mascura shares his story today, understanding the, the power of forgiveness and the challenge sometimes for all of us to understand that we must forgive as we have been forgiven. A brief time out back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. <laughs> And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our guest today, Dr. Celestine Muscura, was a pastor working in Rwanda. He traveled to the United States and was studying at Dallas Theological Seminary when in January of 1998, a few scant days following this horrific attack on his village, many of the people that um, he had pastored when he was there pastoring for about four years in full-time ministry had lost their lives Amongst those that were killed in this attack included his father, stepbrother, wife, and two children. And I want you to share it with our listeners, if you would, uh, Dr. Mascura, um, why you came to the United States and what happened on to you on that day when that fax arrived from Rwanda.
1: Thank you, Greg. Um, I had uh, been um, pastoring uh, a church and uh, training uh, pastors in Kenya uh, just immediately after the genocide because the genocide took place when I was uh, in Nairobi and uh, finishing the seminary there so Because of what happened. I began working with the pastors uh, who had fled, but also I began working with the pastors who had uh, uh, come from Nairobi and those who were in Rwanda teaching them on uh, biblical forgiveness and reconciliation Uh, as well as helping to deal with the trauma uh, that was caused by the killings. And in the process of doing my work, I realized that I needed to do more uh, studies, um, graduate studies, and especially uh, do more research in areas of biblical forgiveness, especially looking at the communal forgiveness, which uh, was an issue that we were dealing with. And so I came to Dallas Seminary uh, to work on my Ph.D., the same time traveling back and forth to uh, Rwanda, Burundi, Congo, Kenya, Tanzania, uh, and Uganda, where I was working uh, with the pastors, uh, training them in areas of leadership and reconciliation. And uh, on the night of uh, January uh, 5th, 1998, I got a fax out in the morning when. Uh, uh, I was uh, studying. Early in the morning, I got a fax from Rwanda, uh, from one of my colleagues, uh, telling me about the massacre uh, that took place in my village. And the fax was uh, uh, telling me about seven members of my family that were murdered together with uh, many people in my village. And uh, it was uh, it was shocking. First. I was angry, uh, not knowing who I was angry against. I began asking questions why, and I wanted to know who did it. And uh, I was also angry against God, asking where He was uh, when uh, this took place. I started crying. I started uh, uh, saying, um, "God, who did it? I want to know where were you when this happened." It was that uh, unguarded moment when. Uh, Suddenly, the Lord started speaking to me and uh, uh, told me that he was there, that he witnessed what happened, that I should not be asking where he was, and the Lord uh, revealed to me that uh, I should not even know who he did it, and I should forgive. I should forgive those who murdered the people I love.
0: Now let me stop you there, because you've got to be thinking at the time. Here, you've dedicated your life to the gospel. You've been involved in pastoring and in a Ministry of Reconciliation, working there in Nairobi, Kenya, but specifically trying to, to bring about peace amongst those that had been battling all these years. You've traveled to the United States to deepen your education and your skills in the arena of ministry. And while you're here in the United States, that, that sense of God, I don't know, as you said, not being there, removing his hand of protection, somehow... The loss of so many members of your family in this attack—where ultimately about seventy people of your villages were killed—that one faithful night at the end of December of 1997—did uh, did you did you feel angry toward God at the time?
1: Yes, Greg, I did. Uh, it was uh, at the moment when I read the facts. I started crying and I felt angry because. Uh, there was this sense of abandonment and disappointment because uh, uh, I had uh, actually been in Rwanda. I had seen some of my relatives three months before that because even though I was at Dara Seminary, I uh, kept going back and forth. I had uh, uh, been going back and forth. I didn't come to Dara Seminary and sit there and, and do studies. No, I was involved uh, in the ministry both in Rwanda and in Congo and in Kenya and in Uganda. So my... I had seen some of my relatives three months before the the killing. I was angry against God because uh, I began to even uh, ask God uh, how could he not protect my family when I had been tortured because of my work, when I had been uh, um, uh, beaten up in the refugee camps by my own uh, uh, Hutu tribesmen because they thought I was working for the Tutsis. How can a Hutu talk about forgiveness and the reconciliation? Who should be talking about uh, revenge, going back to the country? I had been tortured by the Tutsi inside Rwanda because I was a Hutu, and then talking about forgiveness. How can a Hutu call Tutsi to forgive uh, Hutus? So I was a betrayer of both tribes, and so because of what I had gone through, I began to to feel that I was entitled to treatment by God. And so that's why I felt angry and uh, angry against God who cannot protect my people despite all the suffering I'd gone through. And so it was that, that the Lord said, You don't have to know who did it before you forgive. The Lord said, You have been teaching others how to forgive. It is your time
0: to do it yourself. Mm, Pause on that point. We're going to come back to more of our conversation tonight. The book is called Simply Forgiving as We've Been Forgiven, Community Practices for Making Peace. And the co-author, Dr. Celestine Muscura, with us today, he was serving as a pastor for a number of years in Rwanda, Um, had been studying at Dallas Theological Seminary when, um, tragically, there was an attack on his village. Many of the people who he pastored, including his mother, um, father, stepbrother, uh, wife, and children all lost their lives in this tragic attack. Now, here you are, imagine, as a, a Christian and a pastor, uh, specializing in the topic of uh, reconciliation, after all, at the core is what the gospel is all about. And Now you're being called upon to exercise um, the same kind of forgiveness shown toward you. It's a Tough topic, I think, for a lot of us. Um, We're going to talk more about this, though, as our conversation continues. A brief timeout. We'll come back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. Back to the program, 6.37 on the clock. Craig Roberts, along with our special guest today, Dr. Celestine Muscura. He, of course, adjunct professor of systematic theology at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's also the co-author of a new book entitled Forgiving as We've Been Forgiven. If you've joined the conversation late, um, Dr. Muscura was studying at Dallas Theological Seminary in 1998 when a fax came in from his home country of Rwanda that on the heels of what had already been more than three and a half years of ongoing horrific genocide that had claimed the lives of upwards of one million Rwandans, now added to that list was members of his own family having lost his father, stepbrother, wife, and two children. The one thing, Dr. Muskura, for all of us is this sense of learning how to forgive as we have been forgiven. Beyond just the struggle of what goes on and the questions about why God and where God that notion now of recognizing that the whole message that you've shared your entire life has been one of healing and reconciliation, and now you are suddenly placed in the position of forgiving as much as you've tried to urge others to forgive. What to forgive? What did all that mean for you? How did you process those kinds of feelings?
1: Thank you, Craig. The challenge was to uh, understand that... uh, the cost uh, that had been asking others to pay is the cost i'm being asked to pay mm. and uh, the process it took a couple of a um, couple of hours to uh, process the what god was asking me to do because uh, the lord was telling me to not worry about his presence because he was there he witnessed everything and also the lord was telling me i don't have to know who did it and uh, it was uh, obvious that uh, my questioning who did it was uh, to find ways of uh, revenge. Sure. Maybe not to go to kill. Maybe not. Uh, maybe to not give to them. Maybe wish them bad. Uh, but the Lord said, "You have been the other forgive is absolute forgive." And uh, at that moment, I realized that uh, I have a choice uh, to be a hypocrite or to trust in his grace and his power to enable me to do what he's asking me to do. And uh, so I literally um, prayed um, through crying. I said, Lord, I cannot by myself, but if you give me strength, if you give me power, I will. And uh, so I prayed, I um, pronounced forgiveness. Uh, So I don't understand all the details, but... uh, I pronounced forgiveness. Then I woke up my wife and the kids. I told them what happened, the, the wrestling that I had just had with God. We cried together. And I told them that I have forgiven those who murdered my family and my friends and my uh, 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 beloved uh, members of my church where I passed It was uh, uh, a beginning of a, a journey because... Uh, um, about uh, six months later, I learned that my mother and my niece survived. As I said earlier alone, the facts said seven members of my family were killed. But by God's grace, my mother fainted during the, the shooting, so she was under the dead bodies between five, four hours. She Until today, she doesn't know how long. But when she came back to life, she found the. Uh, um, granddaughter, she picked her, she went in the bush, and I did not know that she was alive until six months later. And so for six months, I knew that uh, my mom and my niece were also killed. And uh, in fact, at Dallas Seminary, we had a memorial service for seven members of my family. And uh, so my mother went in the bush, and um, then went in the Congo, it was six months later that some people who knew uh, her in the Congo were able to communicate to my brother, who, who was, uh, was pastoring also in another city, that my mother was alive. And uh, a year later, I was in Uganda, again, doing what I do. as uh, I lead the ministry called African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries, training church leaders in areas of leadership. Discipleship, but also in terms of uh, dealing with uh, ethnicity hatred uh, through biblical forgiveness and reconciliation, I was in a camp when suddenly um, I saw among the pastors that I had, both Hutus and Tutsis, uh, some from Rwanda, others were coming from the refugee camps in the Congo, others were had come from the refugee camps in Tanzania, and all together again talking about the role of the church in bringing healing and reconciliation through biblical principles, it was that moment that um, the Lord confronted me with really complete forgiveness and surrender because uh, uh, when I suddenly found out there were uh, three members of the families that murdered my family, out of nowhere I felt then the anger. And uh, uh, the I felt the anger and... Uh, um, I didn't know what's happening. At that moment, I was just standing and ready to begin teaching. Then the Lord said, why are you angry against your own brothers? And, and why are you angry against yourself? Uh, you are seeing these men who are your brothers in Christ. You are seeing them through the eyes of tribe. It is through that they are parents, they are relatives, they are tribesmen killed. You are finding the people you love. But the people who are in front of you are not just Tutsis. These are your brothers. You have no right, and therefore you are not supposed to teach. You have to ask them to forgive you because you are angry, you have carried anger against what their relatives have done, and now you are hating them, so you are becoming a tribesman, the same thing that you are telling people not to do. Uh, I tell you, uh, Craig, that, um, that was uh, a moment of truth that uh, the Lord confronted me. I stopped. I asked them to come forward and I asked them to forgive me because for, uh, for hating them while they were my brothers. I had no right to hate them, even though their relatives did the killings. Their tribesmen killed my tribesmen because my tribesmen had killed their tribesmen. I had no right to hate them because they were my brothers in Christ. And therefore, our identity in Christ must supersede our tribal identity.
0: I mean, imagine uh, losing a good percentage of your family in this tribal, murderous outrage that's been going on in your home country for many, many years. And now you, as a pastor, as a Christian, have to work through all the feelings and ultimately demonstrate forgiveness as much as you have been forgiven by Christ. Forgiving as We've Been Forgiven, the title of the book, my guest tonight, Celestine Muscura. will come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Continue our conversation today, Dr. Celestine Muxtra. He is a adjunct professor of systematic theology at Dallas Theological Seminary. Been a pastor and um, author of this new book we mentioned earlier, "Forgiving as We've Been Forgiven: Community Practices for Making Peace." Give us some insights here in the waning moments of our program, Doctor. Moving beyond the anger, the initial hatred of those that had taken the lives of so many members of your own family. Now God is calling upon you to forgive in like manner as you have been forgiven. What are some of the lessons you think that you've gleaned out of your experience that you can share with our listeners that struggle with this very issue, that there is a root of bitterness that is well-rooted in their life because of anger over the inability to forgive someone?
1: Thank you, Craig. Uh, lessons that I have learned through uh, my personal journey, my personal experience, uh the first lesson is that uh, forgiving is uh, not a suggestion, is not uh, something that Christians do when they feel uh, to do so. Uh, it is not something that uh, uh, we can actually uh, bargain about. It is a command. And so uh, it is a command because uh, we have been forgiven. And so the command from the Lord is that uh, because we have been forgiven, uh, we are commanded to forgive and to uh, give up the right to get even, to revenge. And so the first lesson I have learned is that uh, I cannot uh, bargain with the Lord, that I forgive when I feel so. No, it is a command. Uh, the second lesson I have learned is uh, unforgiveness is uh, more dangerous to the person who is able to forgive because uh, lack of forgiveness paralyzes us and uh, distorts our view of our neighbor. Uh, Unforgiveness uh, uh, provides us an opportunity to revenge. Uh, Unforgiveness uh, will also cause us to suffer, you know, to be double victims, not only are we the victims of what was done to us, but we are victim of our unforgiveness because the anger, resentment, hatred affect the people we love, whether you are a wife, your son, your daughter. Uh, the people who are innocent are the ones who um, actually end up being the victims of your unforgiveness. Uh, the third lesson that I have learned is that uh, you don't have to, you know, it is not just something that you do for the people who have murdered your family. But forgiveness is our daily um, portion. Uh, just like uh, every day, we cannot live without daily bread, water, the same. Forgiveness is a daily practice, is a daily uh, virtue that we have to live out because uh, we live with the people who are unintentionally will hurt us, the people who love us, but because they are human, they will do something that is uh, hurtful to us. And so we need to learn how to practice forgiveness every day uh, because uh, uh, we live with people uh, who unintentionally will hurt us, but also we live with the people who intentionally will hurt us. And we need to learn, by God's grace, how to give grace, how to forgive, and how to seek uh, um, a building community.
0: To extend grace to others as much as that has been extended to us.
1: Um, That's correct. The grace, uh, we are giving a gift uh, that we do not manufacture ourselves, but the forgiveness is the gift that we give to others from the gift that has been given to us. Uh, Out of the grace that God has bestowed upon us, he requests us to be gracious to others. Uh, But uh, the other lesson that I have learned is that there is no sin that is beyond forgiveness. Uh, whether it is uh, um, a murder of your family or whether it is even adultery and faithfulness of the spouse, uh, we need to realize that there is no sin that is beyond forgiveness, Uh, both uh, God forgiving us or us forgiving those who have done terrible things against us. And uh, the other lesson that I keep learning every day, uh, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Many people are afraid forgive because they confuse forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a decision that I make, is a daily decision I make. It uh, um, just requires me to make that decision regardless of the response of the other person. It is unconditional. It does not depend on how the other people change. Forgiveness is different from reconciliation because reconciliation requires a process. Uh, reconciliation requires that the other person uh, make a step forward and reconciliation not happen until the other person uh, moves towards the middle and so forgiveness uh, people can forgive without telling the other person of course it is better by God's grace in God's timing and uh, when you feel the other person is ready you can tell them they have forgiven them and so you don't have to announce, you can forgive the other person uh, before even they know. Uh, what we are finding, uh, that is the healing in Rwanda. Again, this uh, there are many women in Rwanda, in Burundi, in Congo, who are forgiving the unimaginable acts that have been uh, uh, done against them. We are finding that uh, uh, many times forgiving, forgiveness begins the healing process. Uh, It is difficult for people to begin to hear when they are still angry, when they are still bitter, when they are still uh, harboring hatred, uh, when they are resenting their neighbors. They continue to go into uh, distress. They become oppressed. They become, uh, I mean, sick physically
0: and stands as a major roadblock I would imagine too in in one's relationship with the Lord. It's hard to go deeper and higher with the Lord if you have this this issue of unforgiveness in your life. Even as much as, you know, we're reminded by scripture that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us, that grace that unmerited favor. Maybe we have been harmed by somebody. We have been hurt terribly. Suffered a horrific loss as you did in your case and yet the ability to say we're going to move beyond this and use Christ as the example on how to demonstrate what true forgiveness really is. A look at Forgiving as We've Been Forgiven, Community Practices for Making Peace, and uh, uh, such a moving book. And we appreciate Dr. Musgra for being with us on the show tonight to share some insights from his own very patient, personal, very painful story. Uh, of what transpired and the loss of many members of his family and ultimately moving into that experience of forgiving as being forgiven. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the lifeline podcast simply log on to kfax.com that's kfax.com for the lifeline podcast our producer is wanda sanchez i'm craig roberts till next time round, remember just don't keep the faith get out there and share it and make it a great evening so long opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership staff or management of kfax Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.